This is the Personal Finance Show. I'm Bo Humphreys, and this is The Personal Finance Show. Joining me today is Doug Hoyes. Doug is a licensed insolvency trustee, formerly known as a bankruptcy trustee. He's the host of Debt Free in 30 podcast, and he's the co-founder of Hoyes Michaelos and Associates. Since 1999, Hoyes Michaelos has helped over 40,000 residents of Ontario become debt-free. And one of those residents of Ontario was me. So I'm very happy to have Doug with me today to talk about his company and what exactly Hoyes Michaelos can do to help you with your financial problems. So welcome, Doug. It's great to be here, Bo. Thanks. Yeah, I'm, I am really happy that you agreed to be on the podcast because I want to tell everybody, I, to, I already do tell everybody about my consumer proposal and how you guys brought it down from 40000 to fifteen. And uh, Sandra was my uh, bankruptcy trustee. She still works uh, at Hoy's. Absolutely. In fact, we're sitting in her office right now. This is this where is, Sandra this, works this out is, of? This is her office that we have co-opted here in Toronto. I'm so, going to yes. be much more gentle with the <laughs> desk go. now. And uh, if you have a cloth, I'll wipe it off we will, after, we will, sure. afterwards. But she was really great. And when you, when you get into this kind of thing, you don't know what you're getting into because it's not like something you do every year or every week. Uh, and you don't talk to a lot of people who have been through a bankruptcy. So I think it's really important that the trustee is, is, has a really good uh, manner and, and good people skills. And I think your people do have that. Thank you. Well, and you mentioned a couple of key points there, the licensed insolvency trustee. So there's all these ads out there for people who, claim to do exactly what you just said we did for you, which is, hey, I you know, took my debt down from this number to this, this much lower number. And in your case, what we did was a consumer proposal. We went to the people you owed money to and we said, okay, hey, look, I can't afford to pay back $40,000 or wh whatever the number was, but I can afford to pay some lesser amount, 10, 15, $20,000. And as long as they agree to it, we've got a deal. The reason they agree to it is it's a legal process. And the reason we can do the legal process is because we are licensed insolvency trustees. So I think it's very important then when, when people are looking for someone to help them with their debt, they are going to someone who can actually help them with their debt. Because anyone can call themselves a debt guy. Anyone can take money from anyone. But unless you've actually got the power of the law to back it up, it's, it's not going to work. And, and we also do try to be... Um, as, as you put it, you know, approachable and, and friendly and so on. Our approach is, well, why don't you come in and tell us what happened? Let's talk. Yeah, I was in a really vulnerable state at that time. You know, I, I sent the email that uh, you previously mentioned in your podcast about the incident that happened, and the incident was my life. Mm -hmm. So my life happened in secret, mostly, and I was just... Th this was the time I, I needed to, to I needed help and and you're right I looked at a bunch of different debt consolidation services or debt relief or come to us but I I saw that 
these specific things, the consumer proposal and the bankruptcy, are these are government-regulated things. And so you, the government has put these in place to help people, and we should take advantage of them when we're in those situations. Yeah, if it's right for you, then you should. But yes, it's federal law that we're using to do this. And so in a consumer proposal, everybody you owe money to gets to vote on the deal. They get one vote for every dollar that you owe them. So the bigger guys have more influence than the little, little guys in terms of dollar value. But in most cases, we're dealing with the big banks. That's who credit cards are with. You know, the government, that's where tax debts are with. And for them, it's a money thing. Okay, we want to get our money back. We'd like to get all our money back, but we know that you don't have all the money or else you wouldn't be doing this. If we say no to this consumer proposal, your only other option may be to go bankrupt. And we may get less money in that scenario. So if we do the numbers right, they're going to say yes, unless they've got some personal vendetta against you or, or something. But that's not the way the big banks work. It's about money for them. So we crunch the numbers and come up with the, the plan that works. Now, in your particular case, you said that, you know, you were feeling particularly vulnerable. Well, that's the way everyone is who comes to see us. Something happened. Something yeah. went wrong. Yeah. And it may have been... Um, you know, a medical issue, it may have been a job loss, a, a divorce, something happened. So when you come to see us, we're not here to judge you. When you go to see your dentist, does he judge you because you have a cavity? Sometimes. Okay. Was your father a dentist by any? By yeah, he, he was, but he would never judge he you. He would never judge you. He my, was, dad, it, my dad's probably listening. And he, <laughs> he never did. But your father's approach as a dentist was, you know what? Okay, if you got a cavity, let's deal with it. Let's deal with and it. And we'll give you some techniques so you don't get into that situation again, but there's no sense berating you over what has already happened. So let's deal with the problem, fill the cavity, deal with the debt, and get on with it. And that's, that's what our approach has always been. And you said, you know, it is a proposal, so you it's not guaranteed, which, which mm -hmm. you, you mentioned. And, and I, I, was, I was very aware of that when, when Sandra put the numbers together. And part of me was... Like, are they gonna, are they gonna refuse this? Uh, you know, I, it must happen sometimes. It does. I mean, our acceptance rate ends up being almost a hundred percent. It's like ninety-seven, ninety-eight, ninety-nine percent. Now, that doesn't mean every proposal is accepted on the first go. Okay. So, what we will typically do, well, in fact, what we do in every single case is, you come in, you tell us who you owe money to. We keep very detailed logs of how every individual creditor votes. So I can tell you the last 500 proposals we've done with Bank ABC or credit card company XYZ, how they voted. What are they looking for? How many cents on the dollar? What other terms? Whatever. So we've got a pretty good idea going into it. Here's what they're going to want. Now, we may know that they're going to want $500 a month. Maybe we'll offer 450. Maybe we'll offer 400. Just you know, because that's still a reasonable proposal and still better than bankruptcy. But in all cases, we're going to tell you up front. Here's what we think it's going to take. We could be wrong. Maybe there's a new guy at the bank who wants more money. You at least understand what you're getting yourself into. So they have 45 days from when the proposal is filed to get their votes into us. At which point we count them. It is you know, not uncommon for them to come back and say, well, we want an extra 50 bucks a month, 100 bucks a month, whatever. If you're already prepped for that, then it's like, okay, I figured they'd probably come back for an extra few bucks. I'm ready to do it. If they come back and ask for 
twice as much as what we offered. Well, either we blew it and offered much too low a proposal or they're crazy, in which case, okay, I guess maybe it's way cheaper to go bankrupt. That's what you're going to do. But in the vast majority of cases, we can come up with a deal that works for everybody. So this is the benefit to coming to Hoyes Michaelos because I didn't realize that you had so many the stats. And I think that's a great thing. Because the last thing you want is someone to go and lowball and say, okay, let's bring this 40000 down to five, and then to just refuse it completely. Well, think of it in terms of buying a house. Okay, so, so let's That's say, true. I mean, we're in Toronto right now, so you've got this 300-square-foot condo, which, of course, sells for $9 million, right? <laughs> so let's take a, a, a million-dollar house that I want to sell. Yeah. Well, if, if I, as the buyer, come in and offer you 200000 I mean, you're not even signing the offer back. It, yeah. the, the discussion That's is laughable. over. It's laughable. Now, if if as the buyer I come in and uh, let's ignore Toronto real estate, where you know in the past things have sold for higher than asking, but if if I come in and I offer nine hundred or nine fifty, okay, well, it's not as much as I want, but we're willing to talk. So, in a proposal, we want all the offers we make to be reasonable, but we understand there may be times where the bank's going to ask for a little bit more. And again, we've got the, the past history. We've done thousands and thousands and thousands of these to come up with, with a number that's going to work. So this is a good time to talk about how did you get into this business? And because and, uh, this is, no, this is not, uh, what, is your, what does your dad do, right? We, that's right. <laughs> my, my dad is an yeah. insolvency trustee. Yeah. That, that's not common in my life anyway. Why would you choose this business? Well, I didn't um, originally because you're right. When you're a, a kid growing up, you're going to be a hockey player, right? You're not going to be an, sure. a licensed insolvency trustee. Uh, in my case, when I was in, I, I was always interested in the way money worked. So when I was a kid, I, you know, I'd cut lawns, I'd deliver newspapers, all that kind of thing. And I'd keep track of, you know, where the money was because I wanted to buy whatever that next thing was that I wanted to buy. So I was always you know, I, I did budgets and things like that. So I knew I was going to have some kind of career to do something with finances and, and money and whatnot. And when I was in high school, an older guy I knew was a chartered accountant. I thought, well, that, that sounds like a pretty good thing to get into. And accounting appealed to me because it's not one thing. It's kind of the basis for everything when it comes to business. It is the foundation. It's the foundation of it. So if you can understand the scorekeeping then you can kind of do everything else. So it, all the doors are open, as it were. So I decided, okay, I'm going to become a chartered accountant, what's now called a CPA because we changed our name. <laughs> I don't know why, but that's another show for another day. And so I you know, went to the University of Toronto, um, ended up going to work for a big accounting firm, got my CA designation. And when you're starting out as a CA, you do audits which means you go into a company and you prove that the numbers are correct that show what happened six months ago. And you might not know anything about that company or what they do. Well, in fact, you're, you're looking at a very small piece of it. Mm. So when you're the new kid, you, you spend three weeks looking at accounts receivable or inventory. Let's go count all the inventory and, and make sure the numbers are right. But you're always looking at the past. Mm. Let's, so the, the financial statements that we issue today are for the year end that happened six months ago. Yeah, it's always accounting for things that have already happened. Already happened. And that's really not that much fun. So as I was going through the process, I realized, well, wait a minute, there are other areas of accounting where you can actually look at the future, not the past. So 
uh, when I got my CA, I joined what we called at the time the Financial Advisory Services Group, which did uh, restructuring and insolvency work, also did business valuation work. So I got my CBV, Chartered Business Valuator, so I could figure out what is a business worth, which is what you use when you're doing buy and sell transactions. I didn't even know like that, that was a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. It's an actual thing. There's a process to go through to value a business. Wow. So if we're in a shareholders dispute, you and me, we both own 50% of the company and we decide we have to part ways. Okay, how much are you going to pay me? Well, most shareholders agreement will say you're going to hire a charter business valuator to come up with the value. You know, what if we're getting divorced and the husband and the wife own shares in the business and it's a matrimonial asset and has to be split up? Well, again, you have to have someone value it because the business is not as as clear as, you know, how much the the desks are worth or the it's it's got goodwill and there's, exactly. there's, a, there's an intrinsic value exactly. and intangible yeah how value. do you value that goodwill well that's what what cbvs do okay. so that takes a, a few years to get qualified for that but i also uh, spent more of my time doing corporate restructurings which often meant going in on behalf of the company and trying to figure out okay you're you're bleeding cash here how can we we get things back on the ropes or it might have meant going in on behalf of the bank who was thinking, boy, should we be calling our loan or not? Mm. Doing the work for the debtor companies was kind of fun. I remember many, many years ago working with a, a retailer here in, in Ontario that was in financial trouble. And we went in there, my boss and I, and toured the warehouse and we're going, boy, you've got inventory that's been sitting here for two or three years. That, uh, you got all this bank loan, but you got all this inventory. Why don't you have a blowout sale and raise some yeah. cash? Oh, we don't do that. That would damage our brand. Yeah, but well, you're going to lose money. If you don't you do that, have you're not going to be in business. Yeah. Exactly right. So we finally convinced him to do it. It was a fabulous success. And for the next 20 years, he had a blowout sale every six months. Of and his margins were so high, he was, he was still making money on it. So that, that work was kind of fun. But I also did work on behalf of the banks where should we call the loan or not? I'd be the guy who'd go in and crunch the numbers to figure out, yeah, can this business live or die? And I also did receivership work on behalf of the bank. I was the guy who actually went in and got the locks changed. Sorry, employees, you've all lost your job. I've got to fire you. Wow, that sounds terrible. It's not fun. It's no. not fun. Now, obviously, it is necessary in as part of our system. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. If a bank could never collect their loan, they would never make a loan. So it's kind of like being, well, I want to be a doctor, but I don't want to be a surgeon because I don't want to have to cut. Nah, that's not the way it works. It's got to be done. But I realized after a while that I was th the fun part was helping people. The less fun part was recovering boatloads of money for the big banks. Yeah. So I gravitated then into the personal area. And in 1999, left the big firm along with uh, Ted Michaelis, who was working there uh, at the time, and we formed Hoys Michaelis and Associates, and we decided all we are going to do is personal insolvency. So we've you know, had the odd thing we've done with corporations over the years, but we are exclusively a personal insolvency firm, meaning we deal with people, individuals. So guys like you, I've got a bunch of debts, I don't know a way out, great. We, we help you. And that's much more satisfying because in a typical day, I might meet with five or 10 people. When I was doing corporate restructuring, I might work on the same file for six months, the same, the same big corporation. So it's much more satisfying actually meeting with real people face to face, 
understanding what the issues are and actually giving them a solution and seeing it implemented. In businesses, they, they have a whole team of people and, and maybe they could try to figure out some of this stuff themselves. Individuals, they need help when they're in a bad spot. And who do you turn to? Yeah, you turn to, turn to the trustees. And that that's why we're here. So, I mean, obviously it's like turning to a doctor when you're sick. Well, I don't wanna go see the doctor. Yeah. But, okay, what are your options? Mm. And when you look at it that way, it's like, okay, well, I'd rather go see the doctor and have him do whatever he's got to do than whatever the alternative is. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's really good. I, the word trustee, I mean, just, it, well, it has the word trust mm -hmm. in it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it always usually means somebody who's kind of backed by some kind of rules or, or government or association. And in this case, it is the government. It is. It's federal law. The Federal Bankruptcy and Insolvency Act is what governs all we do. But really what it's really backed by is common sense. So you've got a bunch of debt that you owe to the banks. The banks want to get as much money as they can get, but they don't want to get nothing. And you want to get out of the situation you're in. Well, that's the perfect opportunity then for a deal. There is a middle ground that we can find. That's my job. So at the end of it, nobody is really, really happy that I got to go through that surgery. Yeah, right. But everyone is satisfied that it was a, a fair process and we are all better off than if we hadn't gone through the process. And that's that's how we do it. So we talked about uh, we talked a lot about consumer proposals because I did one. So what are the other options? Bankruptcy is the other clear one. But let's say someone is just having trouble. You look at their stuff and they're not they don't really qualify or they're not. You know, it wouldn't be a good idea for them to ruin their credit rating, which we haven't. We'll talk about credit mm -hmm. ratings in a bit, but it's not a good idea for them to do a proposal of bankruptcy. Well, so someone comes into us and they say, I got a bunch of debt. So we're going to go through a number of different options, sort of from least severe to most severe. So the first option is, well, can you fix it on your own? Yeah. Maybe you need to make a budget, cut some expenses, maybe get a you know part-time job to increase your income. And it may be quite possible for you to get out of it on your own. Maybe you've got some assets you can sell. Well, I don't need that second car. I don't need my bicycle. I'll put that on Kijiji, whatever. So we look at all those things. Of all the people who call us, 30% rough numbers end up filing either a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy. Okay. Well, let's do the math in our heads. You're an accountant. That means 70% They figure it out on their own. Do something else. That's right. So it may be that we say, okay, uh, if you haven't done your taxes for the last five years, let's get you in touch with a tax preparer who can, who can help you with that. You haven't done the books for your small business, let's put you in touch with someone who can help you with that. Uh, maybe it's a, a mortgage broker or, or the bank to refinance your mortgage, free up the money to pay off your unsecured debts. So we go through all of those options first with them. And in a lot of cases, yeah, that's, that's really all they needed was someone to point them in the right direction. Maybe the answer is a debt consolidation loan, for example. Now, a debt consolidation loan doesn't reduce your debt. No, You're taking your $50,000 of debt here and putting it in $50,000 worth of debt over there. But if you can refinance it at a lower interest rate, yeah. with more appropriate terms, then that's a solution for many people. So we're looking at all those kinds of solutions. It's only when all those other things don't work that then we look at the consumer proposal and the bankruptcy as the final two options. When someone comes in from that 70%, 
and doesn't need a proposal or bankruptcy, do you make any money? No. So this is, I mean, in essence, you only make money if the people, if you can't help them. Yep. I mean, if you can't help them they, they, without using the government that's right. Mandated things. That's exactly right. But the way I look at it, okay, so I didn't make any money on that guy. Mm-hmm. But that guy or girl is going to be quite happy that I was a straight shooter with Absolutely. them. Absolutely. I told them what I thought. I gave them a practical answer. And see, so you know what? One of their friends they're going to send to me at some point in the next year or five, and I'll do fine. So I would much rather come up with the right solution for you rather than the solution that's going to make me money today. And I know this is one of the knocks against trustees. It's, well, you know, you don't want to go see a trustee because they're going to put you into a bankruptcy so they can make money, or they're mm. going to put you into a proposal, and and maybe the proposal is the right answer, but they're going to try to offer as much money as possible because then they make more money. Mm. Because our fees, which are set by the government, are a percentage of the money that's distributed. Well, if we distribute more money, we get paid more money. So therefore, the trustee has this incentive, you know, even though a $300 a month proposal would work, let's offer $500 so we make more money. And, uh, you know, my response to that is, well, no, because over the long term, everyone would catch on to that game pretty Absolutely. quickly. Yeah. And word would get around that we're operating not in the best interests of everybody. So we try to find the solution that's going to work in you know it's best for you as the person who owes the money but will also be accepted by the creditors that's that's what we're aiming for and if you were trying to make the most money possible you wouldn't turn away 70 percent of the people or sorry help them yeah in in a free way yep which is what you're doing you're giving them free free services and free advice which you could technically charge for if you weren't a trustee well and in fact i could charge for it even though i am a trustee i could say okay well we're not going to do a proposal or bankruptcy but you know what uh, i want a hundred bucks for the like you know, a review the, the, yeah to, to yeah. review it and you know what i bet a lot of people would say hey that's a fantastic deal here's 500 bucks they might yeah but that's that's not the way we do it okay if we're not doing a legislated solution then we're not going to charge you anything all i ask is well say good things about me then that's right and that's you, much better in the long run and you get paid out of the uh you get paid from the the creditors um, well, so let's talk about a proposal sure, specifically. Sure. It's, it's essentially the same in the bankruptcy. The creditors aren't sending me any money at all. So no, I don't okay. get, I don't get paid by the creditors. I am giving money to the creditors. Yes. So it's, it's actually the other way around. So you do a proposal and let's say it's, you know, you're going to be paying 10, 15, $20,000. That's the money that goes into the pot. So let's say your proposal is 300 bucks a month for five years, yeah. $18,000. Out of that money, the government gets well I'll, I'll i'll keep this relatively simple i get the first chunk of money roughly 1500 bucks okay plus there's some gst and some other miscellaneous this sure then we start distributing money to the creditors okay when i so let's say i've got a dollar to distribute the first five cents goes to the government okay because they're helping out this process they made the regulations they they made the regulations so (laughs) they're they're the boss well and they're monitoring me sure they are the regulator so five percent right off the top goes to the government 20 percent comes to me okay that's the fee in a in a proposal and then obviously the rest of it is going to the creditors 75 percent or whatever that is so the creditors aren't paying me i'm paying them okay so that kind of leads to the question so who am i working for here anyway (laughs) working for me 
Well, <laughs> in in one sense, obviously, I'm working for you because yeah. I'm taking you know fifty thousand dollars worth of debt and and turning it into eighteen thousand dollars worth of payments. So it's magic. So yeah, you're pretty happy with with that magic. Very much. The creditors are pretty happy though too because if this proposal hadn't been filed, maybe you end up going bankrupt and they get a lot less. They would have got zero. So maybe. so they're happy too. But on the other hand, there are these rules that I'm by law required to follow. So I guess I'm also working for the law. And in fact, technically, I am an officer of the court mm. who is appointed to either administer the bankruptcy or the proposal. So the way I look at it, the way I see it in my mind is I am like the referee in a hockey game. Okay. There's debtors and there's creditors. There's this rule book that we all have to follow. And my job is to make sure everyone follows the rules. So technically, I'm not actually working for you. I'm not really working for the bank. I am like a judge. My job is to make sure the rules are followed. And at the end of it, everybody should be satisfied. Okay, so you got the free services. You got the proposal and the bankruptcy, which are free for me, the person who's filing them. And you get paid out of the pot. Yeah, so you you are not in a proposal paying me some upfront fee. No. There's no such thing as that. Yeah. So if you go to someone and they say, "Well, the upfront fee is five hundred dollars, two thousand, whatever," okay, uh, no, then you're not dealing with a licensed insolvency trustee. You do not pay me anything until the proposal has been filed. Okay. Yeah, obviously, all the money I got came from you. Yeah, it's, it's flowing. But if you're making a proposal of $300 a month, you are paying $300 a month. That includes That's my it. fee, the government fee, GST, whatever else. It's all And it's then all you guys split that. it up, and it doesn't really matter to me because I went from 40000 exactly to fifteen right. or eighteen, and I'm good, and I probably want you to get a fee. I, re- I hope you get something out of yeah. this because look at all the money that you saved me. Right. So if neither one costs me money, why does everyone have so much of a problem with bankruptcy, say, versus a proposal? Why is it so much worse in people's minds? And whether that's the truth or not, uh, why is that the case? I think it's really a historical thing. Okay. Bankruptcy in the past was a much more punitive process if we go back many, many years. Socially, there was a stigma to it. And there weren't very many of them. Okay. So, yeah. you know, like like how many people do you know that um, went through a bankruptcy 50 years ago? Well, I, I don't know anybody, really. I, I don't. Mean, yeah, yeah. I can't think of anybody. And and yet today, last year in Canada, roughly 120, 125,000 people went through either a proposal or a bankruptcy. Wow. So that is not an insignificant number. So over the last 10 years, it's probably over a million people mm. who have filed a bankruptcy or consumer proposal. Well, there's only, what, 35 million people in Canada. I don't know what the numbers are. You know, 25 million adults. So it is not an insignificant number. So if you were to, to go out on the streets of Toronto right now and gather up a group of 200 random people, one of them, statistically, will probably be filing a bankruptcy or proposal this year. Wow. So it's... It's a much more common thing. And the reason it's much more common is we got way more debt than we ever did before. My parents and my grandparents didn't get credit cards the day they started college. No. Now that's just a thing. Yeah, automatically. You know? And even mortgages weren't really much of a thing 50 years ago. I mean, sure, they existed, but, you know, you, it would be to top up the 20000 you needed to buy your house. Well, now the whole economy is fueled by it. So when you have a whole economy 
fueled by debt, there are going to be people who have too much debt and therefore for need to do this. So I think it's become much more prevalent and therefore people are much less concerned about the stigma attached to it and much more focused on the fact that this is a way to ultimately uh, deal with the debt. And I would say a similar thing about mental health issues mm -hmm. and addiction. And so the fact that it's all kind of growing in the same way is really good because uh, a while ago, I'm sure I couldn't have gone to CAMH and, uh, and gotten free addiction counseling for what, I, what ended up being 10 years. And you certainly wouldn't be talking about it. No. You certainly wouldn't be doing podcasts talking about your experience. No, things like Bell Let's Talk Day, as mm -hmm. much as people do like to say, like, why do we have to have a day for people who acknowledge this? We need days. We mm -hmm. need more days because not everybody wants to talk about it. And in the workplace, when, when somebody, you know, there's a really good sort of um, you know, cartoon or analogy uh, about what if we treated mental health issues like we did, uh, you know, in the same way, or we treated physical ailments mm -hmm. as we do mental health issues? Like, oh, I just, you know, I slice my hand off. Uh, uh, suck oh, it up. Yeah, suck it yeah. up. Uh, you yeah. know, you'll you'll get better. Just like, why don't you just be happy? Yeah. And so I like that a lot of that stuff is getting better, and and so everything's kind of coming more out into the open, and everyone's deciding to get help where they would have had to hide it away before. You know, when I think about bankruptcy now. I think I, I part of me thinks maybe it would have been easier for me because of the time. It takes less time, doesn't it? Maybe. Okay. So here's here's the concept. In a bankruptcy, you lose everything. Everything. Okay. Now, most people who go bankrupt don't have anything, so it's not really an issue. They have negative things. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's why they're going bankrupt. So... You know, you're allowed to keep your basic stuff, your clothing, your basic household stuff. In Ontario, you're allowed to keep a motor vehicle worth up to $6,600. Most people we deal with, their vehicles leased or has a loan against it anyways, so the, the net equity in it is zero. It goes away. The only asset, you know, even things like an RSP, you only lose whatever you've contributed to it in the last year. Okay. That's a relatively new rule. Oh, is that a new rule? Okay. So if... And if you're in debt problems, you probably haven't been contributing much in the last year. So again, in most cases, you're not losing your RSP either. But in a bankruptcy, you do lose, you, you might lose something. So if you have a house, for example, that has equity in it, then you're at risk of losing whatever that equity is. Wow. Um, if you happen to own two or three cars, even if they're not worth a huge amount, well, yes, you, those are at risk as well. Or, you know, maybe you have investments or things like that. The, the two biggest things people lose in a bankruptcy would be their tax refund. Okay. Which, okay, it's not millions of dollars, but it's, it's for some people, people it's significant. Like it. Yep. And a portion of your income. Okay. Surplus so income. That's a big difference from the consumer That's proposal. the big difference. So the government sets limits for what you're allowed to earn. Mm -hmm. and it's based on the size of your family, based on uh, certain expenses. If you are over that amount, you have to pay a penalty of half of the amount you're over. Mm -hmm. So if the limit based on your personal circumstances is, you know, a couple of grand a month and you make 3000 a month while you're a thousand bucks over the limit, you got to pay $500 a month. And that number changes every month. So if you're bankrupt, every month you are sending us proof of what your income is and your expenses. So basically a, a monthly budget. So I have to report every month too, which exactly. is another difference. You don't proposal. have to in a consumer proposal. So if you work at a job where you get paid biweekly, well, guess what? A couple of times a year, you're getting three paychecks in a month. Mm. Your income's higher. You, you might have to pay more. Oh, I don't like that. You don't like that idea. Um, or maybe you work at a company where every six months you get a bonus. 
Or maybe oh, no. you get paid by the hour and there's lots of overtime in the summer or the winter or whatever. Well, you can't really say to your boss, hey, dude, I'm bankrupt. I don't want to work overtime. Yeah. Because I'm going to have to pay more. Okay, you're fired. I mean, okay, I have to do the work. So a proposal is great if your income is over the limit or if you think there is the potential that it will increase during the period. And that was my situation. I probably read all of this stuff that you're saying because you would have had it posted on the website in mm-hmm. one way or another at that time yep, even. Yep, absolutely. And I would have like, no way. Like, If I get a bonus... I got to give it up. And then the monthly reporting, I think it was all too, is all, it is still very punitive, it seems. It is, but that's how the rules work. But for how long? How long would I have to do that? Well, the minimum bankruptcy period is nine months. Okay. If your income is over the limit, then an extra year gets added. Okay. So that's probably the most punitive part. Sure. Not only are you paying this penalty, but now your bankruptcy is extended for an extra year. If you've been bankrupt before, then the minimum period is two years. Okay. And if your income is over the limit, then an extra year gets added. So it could be three years. How many times can someone do this? Well, if you go bankrupt a third time, yeah. in order for the bankruptcy to end, we have to go to bankruptcy court and you got to explain it to the judge and the judge will decide when your bankruptcy ends. Oh, wow. So... The first bankruptcy, okay, not a big deal. Even the second one, it's still possible to be discharged provided you do all your stuff, even though it's going to take longer. But a third time, you're going to court. And it's entirely up to the court to determine if you've got to pay more, if they're going to put extra conditions on you or whatever. And the first and second times, you don't have to make any kind of court appearance. Correct. Unless somebody objects. So any one of your creditors could say, well, I think he should have to pay more. I think he's done something bad. I think, you know, there's there's some reason the court should look at this. Well, in that case, they can object to your bankruptcy ending. And then we do have to go to bankruptcy court and uh, the bankruptcy judge gets to decide. That's pretty rare. Yeah. But if you had massive tax debts, for example, okay, well, Revenue Canada is probably going to want to have a court hearing. Okay. (laughs) And say, hey, look, uh, no, we're not doing the nine month thing here. He has to pay more. Ah. The court may say no, nine months is sufficient, and and that's all that's required. So bankruptcy is more open-ended. It's based on your actual income, whereas with a proposal, we go to the creditors, we make a deal right up front. So to take a a made-up example, let's say we do all the math, and a bankruptcy is going to cost you six or seven thousand dollars because of the assets you have and what you project your income is going to be. Well, if we go to the creditors and offer them ten thousand dollars, that's more. Mm, it is. So for you, for the creditors, it's a good deal because we're getting more than we get in the bankruptcy. But for you, it's potentially also a good deal because you know exactly what you got to pay. Okay. So it's not like, okay, I can't work overtime because that's going to throw me over the limit and make my bankruptcy longer and cost me more money. It's like, nope, I want good karma here. I'm going to work as hard as I can because that's what I want to do. So in that sense, a, a proposal is, um, th- there's much more certainty to it once the creditors have said yes to the deal. So that's the reason, uh, one of the reasons a lot of people like to do it. The other reason is you're taking those payments and stretching them out over a longer period of time. So is it harder to pay, in my example, $6,000 over 21 months or $10,000 over five years? Well, obviously the monthly payment over five years is a lot less. Yeah. So we can lock in a lower payment that's much more reasonable for your cash flow but with a proposal, once it's up and running, you can pay it off as quick as you want. So you want to go out there and work overtime. You get a raise at work. Your parents give you some money. Fantastic. The proposal could be over immediately then. 
So much more flexibility with a proposal, which is why in Ontario today there are more consumer proposals filed than bankruptcies. And you don't just do the proposal or the bankruptcy and then send people on their way. You have certain things. Like for me, for example, I had to have credit counseling. Yes. This, which I'm assuming is yes. mandatory. It's mandatory. And I did have to give the reason for my, the, wh- why am I in debt? Yes. Uh, because they, they want to be able to address that. That's exactly right. So the, the reasons for the debt are disclosed. And for example, if the reason for my uh, bankruptcy was gambling, then the creditors might say, well, you know what, we want to go to court and have a discussion about this because that's there's a section in the act that talks about frivolous and vexatious spending. I was a little bit worried about that. Uh huh. So you know what the solution to that is? Do a proposal. Mm. So we disclose up front to the creditors, yeah, okay, I've had some issues in the past, but look at the money I'm willing to offer you. That's right. Okay, well, we'd rather have the money than uh, worry about the court thing. So there's a, a big advantage. That's another big advantage to a proposal. There's no court. Once they've said yes, that's it. We're done. So there are two credit counseling sessions that are part of the process, whether you do a bankruptcy or a proposal. And really the purpose of those sessions is let's make sure you don't get into this mess again. Yes. So what caused the issues in the first place? And in most cases, we already know that by the time the bankruptcy is up and running. Mm -hmm. But then let's give you some tools to keep you out of trouble in the future. Now, for some people, they've already figured it out. Okay, I never kept a budget. I lost my job, whatever. But for other people, it's a revelation to go, yeah, I didn't realize that I should be keeping track of this Just kind a of simple stuff. budget. Just a simple budget. And so we have a whole bunch of resources on, on a website that we give our clients once they file with things like apps that they can use to keep track of that. And obviously, we're sitting down in person and, and going through all these things as well. We've got videos on, on budgeting, things like that. So whatever level of assistance you need, that's what we're there to provide to make sure that this is a positive experience for you. So that's how to not have it happen again. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about how to make sure people don't get into this situation mm-hmm. in the first place. One of the major ones is keeping an eye on your credit score and making sure that you're doing thing, the right things to keep it where it is and making payments and that kind of thing. There's different ways to check your credit score and it used to cost a lot of money. But now there's places, there's three places you can get it in Canada. Uh, you can get them for free. Now, the downside is these companies have welcomed you into their world of lending, and they're going to offer you products which you may or may not want, or they may or may not be good for you. And so I want to know your opinion on getting free credit uh, scores like that. Well, I have many opinions. <laughs> so f- opinion number one, nothing in life is free. Okay. And you kind of alluded to it. Yes. So, okay, I get my free credit score from whomever, well, why are they giving out a free credit score? Because it isn't free to them. They Gotta are getting it reason. from Equifax and TransUnion. Which probably costs which money. Which costs them money. Now, of course, they're buying them in massive bulk. So you and I go to one of those places that costs 20 bucks or 40 bucks or whatever it costs. They're probably getting it for a buck or two because they're buying 10000 a month from all the customers they've got. But it's still costing them money. Why would they do that? Well, you already answered your own question. Because it gets you into their world of lending. So think about it. I'm a lender. And I want to figure out who to lend money to. Some people are a good risk. Some people are a bad risk. Some people I need to price it higher. How can I figure out who's the best person to lend to? You know what would really help me? A copy of their credit report with their credit <laughs> score. So we'll get them 
on the hook by saying, hey, you can have this for free. Yeah. Yeah. You get it for free. But guess what? They now have it, too. They so now looking have at it. They're looking at their computers looking at it. I mean, you gave them permission to get it. You asked for it. So now they have it, too. So it's pretty easy for the computer to run its algorithms because these are all, you know, fintech, electronic, whatever companies. So they can run the algorithm to go, oh, okay, you know what? Two weeks from now, we're going to send him an email saying, hey, congratulations. We found you this great deal on a credit card with a $10,000 limit. It's a lower interest rate than what you're paying on your credit card now. Fantastic. So now you, you know, apply for that credit card, switch to it, whatever. They've made a commission on selling you that credit card. So they got their money back from the free uh, credit score. Mm. Now, if that was a credit card that is actually good for you, cheaper than the one you've got, if you canceled the old one and got this one, then I guess everybody wins. Sounds good. Sounds good. But if it's like, okay, now I've got two credit cards. So now I've got the ability to borrow $20,000 instead of 10, then actually you're better off. So I'm not going to sit here and say, don't get your free credit score. Yeah. Because knowing what your credit score is helpful if you're going to be borrowing. I will make a distinction, though, that you can get your credit report for free. Yes. It just doesn't have the actual score on it. You got to get it mailed in. Right. Well, and you can actually now get them um, over the phone. Doesn't always work. You can um, TransUnion now offers them online. Oh, TransUnion for free. Oh, that's brand new thing. Maybe Equifax will. They'll they'll come on board eventually too. But yes, you can certainly fill out the form, mail it in. Ten days later, you've got it. So a credit report, I definitely recommend getting a copy every year. And the way I would do it if I'm doing it the free way is I get it from one of them. And then six months later, I'd get it from the other one. Okay. And then six months later, go back to the first one. So they're required by law to give you one every year. So get the other one every six months. You've got a a fresh credit report every six months. And that's helpful for things like, wait a minute, I don't have a visa card at that company. Someone's stolen my identity. I should follow up on this or something's misreported, which happens all the time. I mean, I, I would be willing to bet that virtually every credit report has an error in it. Yeah, I mean, even in my address or my name or my, exactly. my empl- a former employer. Or, you know. Well, and, and things like your employment information. The longer you've been at a job, mm. the higher your credit score because it shows stability. Okay. So if you've been at a job for two years, but the credit bureau doesn't know it because perhaps you haven't applied for any credit in those two years or updated your information, your credit score might be artificially depressed. Wow. If I get my credit report and I go, wait a minute, I, I don't... I, don't, I work at this company now. Well, you can send something to the credit bureau saying, Here, here's my T4 from two years ago and from last year. Look, I can prove that I've been there for two years or get a letter from your employer. Well, now they can update that information. Hmm. So now your credit score just bumped up. You don't know that it bumped up because you only got the free credit report. I had no idea about but that. But yeah, you're, same with your address. If you've been wow. living at the same place for a number of years, you're going to have a higher credit score than someone with an equal situation who's just moved because, again, it's a stability thing. I thought these were just administrative uh, items on the report. These actually make a difference. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the thing that makes the most difference is how much debt do you have and are you paying your bills on time, but these little things also also do make a difference. So to answer your question, okay, free doesn't mean free. Yeah. So be very careful, but... If you want access to your credit score and you don't want to pay for it and you are able to resist the onslaught of advertising emails that you're going to get for the rest of your life because you signed up for this free thing, (laughs) then fine. But, you know, forearmed is forewarned. Now, here's the second part of my rant. Who is your credit score for? 
it should be for people who want to why, why does lend it, me money. Why does it aha uh-huh, for people who want to lend you money? That's exactly right. Mm. It doesn't exist for your benefit. Yeah, why do I want to know it? It exists for the bank. It exists for the lender. They're the ones who created it. I want to know what they know. Right, but credit scores were invented as a way for the bank to decide how good a credit risk you are. Mm-hmm. It's for their benefit. That's right. Why is it that when there's an error on your credit report, it takes forever you to get it fixed, you got to go back and forth? Well, because the credit report isn't for you. It's not for your benefit. It's for the banks. Hmm. So why would I focus all my energy on making things better for the banks? I think what you should do if you want to have a, a good financial holistic life is do what is best for you. The basic thing, get your bills paid on time, keep your debt levels low, have a good job, don't spend frivolously, all those kind of things. Now, they may not make your credit score go up. So let's say that you decide you're going to start a savings plan and every month you're going to put 100 bucks into your TFSA. How is that going to affect your credit score? I don't know that it is. It ain't. It's not debt. Yeah. So let's take two people. One person has $50,000 worth of borrowing room on five different credit cards, but they only utilize 20% of it. You've got somebody else who's never had a credit card in their life and they got a million dollars in the bank. Who has a better credit score? The first person. Exactly. The person with a million dollars, who we would all agree is in better financial shape, might not even have a credit score because they've never borrowed money. But that person with all this debt who knows how to play the game and keep their utilizations low and always make the minimum payments, they have a better credit score. So why do we have this obsession with pursuing the highest credit score I can get? It doesn't make you a better person. It makes you a better mark, Mm. target for the bank. Wow. So... I think you should focus on what's important, which is what we all know is important. Like I said, keeping your expenses down, having money in the bank, savings, that sort of thing. Now, I get it. You want to buy a house. You want to finance a car. Yes, the higher the credit score, the cheaper the borrowing. So, okay, fine. Go and play the game then. (laughs) But understand you are playing a game. It's a game where the rules are written by the banks, not by you. And then at least you're a willing participant in the game. You're not being snowed by them. So we focus on just making sure the credit report is accurate. That's the only reason to get into this credit report watching game, just so that there aren't any errors or somebody right. stole our identity yep. or that there's some things that are being reported, like my proposal, yep. that shouldn't be there anymore. Yep. That's the only reason to sort of go uh, in there. But otherwise, don't get too obsessed with the yeah, credit score. Exactly. Don't get obsessed with that. Obsess over the important things, not that. It just it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, so the way to not have to walk through the Hoyes Michaelos offices is to do the things that I try to teach everybody, mm-hmm. which number one is, is save some money, you know, build an emergency fund so if something goes wrong, you don't have to get into credit. And then if you do have uh, a terrible credit, when you need credit, you're going to pay the highest interest possible, which is uh, it all just kind of compounds. So if you don't have anything saved and you have to go borrow money and uh, you don't have any credit, it's just the worst kind of situation to be in. Yeah. My number one advice to everybody is one word. Think. Think. So we could have made this podcast way shorter if we just started with that. <laughs> think. That's Maybe I'll just edit it. There just you down go. To Here this. you go. Doug Hoy says think. Think. Because if we did that, 
then and I realized you know stuff happens I lost my job well all the thinking in the world isn't going to bring my job back that's true I, I can think, I get think out of my gambling addiction absolutely it took a while but for but the majority of people what I'm saying is we just had this discussion about your credit score okay well let's think it through why yeah. am I obsessing over it does it really make sense um, when you walk into a car dealer and the person greets you at the door you know what that person is there to do that's right they're a car salesman or car salesperson. That's what they're there to do. There's no there's no d worry about what the the relationship is. But when you go and get your free credit score, you think you're getting something for free, but you're really, again, it's a sales relationship. Mm -hmm. When you walk into the bank to cash a check, who are you talking to? Well, I'm talking to the customer service representative. That's Mary. She's been there for 20 years. We've got along great. Uh, okay, but are you not actually talking to a salesperson? It turns have, out we are. Turns out we are, and we, you've seen the the media reports and all that. Yeah. I mean, have you ever had that happen to you, where you go into to cash a check or get a money order or get some U.S. dollars or something? Is oh, Bo, the the computer says that you're pre-authorized for a twenty thousand dollar line of credit. It's an evil word, pre-authorized. Yeah, you know, pre-authorized, pre-approved. You're pre-approved pre for a twenty thousand dollar line of credit because you're such a great customer. It makes me want it. Exactly, because you're well. I, I've earned it. I don't even know what it is, and I right. want it. I want it, and so my advice is: well, think. Why are they giving it to you? Well, to make money. Do you really need it? Like, really? Do you really need that? If you do, okay, then I guess this is lucky that you walked into the bank that day. But getting debt that you don't need, or getting access to debt that you don't need, probably isn't going to lead to good things. It's risky. Very risky. And so we want to make sure that we don't get into risky situations that we don't need to get into. Mm -hmm. People think that they can handle it, and then it turns out, well, we find out the hard way that they can't. Right, because we don't think through the implications. You go to buy a car, and the guy says, hey, it's going to be 600 bucks a month. And you go, okay, I can afford that. Great. Okay, did you think it through, or did you just get enticed by the word turbo? You know, like, w what was it that made Do your you decision? you need this? Well, and, and $600 a month, okay, did you factor in all the other costs, first of all, insurance and all the rest of it? Mm -hmm. And is there a difference between $600 a month over four years or $600 a month over eight? Well, yeah, there is. It's not the monthly payment that's the most important thing. It's what are you actually paying? Mm. But they're, they're very good about that when they're, when they're trying to sell you something. The first person you meet at the car place isn't the finance guy. It's the salesman guy. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, it's like, okay, now that you've picked out the car, how can we fit the, the round peg into the square hole? So again, take a step back and actually crunch the numbers before signing on the dotted line. That would solve a lot of our problems, I think. And if you're not good at the financial stuff, find somebody exactly. to talk to or, or go and read some blogs. There's some really great stuff out there, not just mine. But yours is a, a great place to start, and the service you offer is a, is a great service on that front for people who don't know how to crunch the numbers or don't even know what questions to ask. So, okay, I'm, I'm going to sign up for a car loan. What questions should I ask? It's not just what's the monthly payment. What are the total payments? How many miles are included in the lease? What's the penalty at the end? What's the residual value? All those kind of things. The question that I like to ask is, if something happened to me and I didn't have a job anymore, would this be something I could maintain or would it be really crippling for me? If, if you're making payments that take you right to the top of your budget and you could have chosen a slightly you know, less expensive option, you're really putting yourself at risk there, especially if you have no savings 
for example. Yeah, that, you're yeah. talking about stress tests. Yes. Which the government does with banks all the time. What if they had loan losses or whatever? But I think that's a fantastic thing for a human being to do as well. If I Why lost not? my job tomorrow, would I still be able to make that $600 a month car payment? And if the answer is, well, you know what? I've got some savings and I've got my resume out there and I could probably find a job in three weeks. Okay, then so that's cool. It. But if you work in a very highly specialized industry, if you work a seasonal job where you get laid off for six months every year, then I can pretty much predict what's going to happen. So I don't have a crystal ball, but I can see the future. Guess when my phone is busiest? Well, beginning of the year. Mm. You know why? Because there's this thing called December 25th, mm -hmm. Christmas. And you know when it comes every year? December 25th, every year. So how many people who are listening who you know celebrate Christmas are planning for it now? are tucking aside a few bucks every paycheck because we know it's coming. Very few. Very few. But it's so consistent. You know you're going to buy some gifts or spend more, celebrate more, take a trip. Take, take the plane to grandma's house, whatever. Birthdays are the same thing. They come on the same day every year. <laughs> the license sticker you need for your car comes on the same day every year. Summer vacation comes at the same time every year. I mean, I get it. I can't predict when I'm going to need a new set of tires right to the day. But you can reasonably guess that as a car gets older, the, the costs come up. So look ahead and think. Those are the two things. Those are two big things. So that wouldn't happen to be the title of your book that's coming out, is it? No, but now, now that you mention it, I wish I had gone with that. The, the title <laughs> of the book is Straight Talk on Your Money. Okay. And which is kind of exactly it, what we've just been doing. Basically what we've been doing. So... I mean, I talk about credit scores. That's a chapter in the book. I go okay. through 22 different myths. Wow. That, you know, things like, oh, the credit score is very important. I have to have a highest credit score. Eh, I think you've already got the gist yeah, of why I don't think that's that, true. Yeah. So, so yes, it will be uh, in stores, I believe, around September the 9th, 2017. Okay. And uh, I go through all those kind of things. And, again, I'm coming at it from my perspective, which is, okay, I've seen all these issues. Uh, you've seen it all coming through I've the, seen it all. I mean, I've been a, a professional accountant now for 30 years. I've you know dealt one-on-one -on -one with, I don't know, at least 10,000 people. Mm. I don't actually count because I don't think of people as numbers, but maybe it's 20,000. I don't know. It's, it's a big number. And I see the same mistakes happen over and over. And a lot of the time, it's people actually thought they were doing the right thing. People have this impression that, well, the reason the guy went bankrupt is because he spent too much money. Well, mathematically, yes, I guess that's true. But most people I meet with, it wasn't just, well, I went on some frivolous spending sprees and here I was. Something happened. Hmm. Medical issues, you know, gambling issues, marriage breakups, job loss, whatever. But also it's very common for people to have thought they were doing the right thing. Is that the hardest thing to hear when they come in is that, but, but I did everything right? Yep. You know, I, I had savings and then this happened and that happened. And, and yeah, I, I bought as big a house as I could afford because that's what everyone tells me to do. Oh. And uh, so because nobody has any incentive to tell you to buy a, a really small house or rent. No one makes any. There's real estate agents, banks, mortgage people, the, the moving industry, the furniture. None of them make money if you're frivolous. There's nobody who has an incentive to to say that so and we we just need to keep telling people about this so mm -hmm. that's why i had you come on this podcast well, that's, that's why, why I'm, I'm glad to be on your podcast because i think the more we can get the word out the better and you know i'm glad that i went through it 
you know, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. I wouldn't wish a gambling addiction or having to go through a proposal on anyone, but it helped me uh, learn about money and personal finance more than probably any financial education that I had. So, Well, and you wouldn't be a financial coach today. I wouldn't. If it wasn't for those things. I would probably still be the bookkeeping coach. Let's mm-hmm. go there. Yep. But I probably wouldn't because... Having to live on cash for a little bit, which is what I did even before I got the secured credit card that I did, and knowing that I need this amount of money for rent in my account, and so I can't go out to dinner with you, or I can't buy these expensive groceries because I don't have any other money. Mm -hmm. And I think everyone needs to experience that because we're so used to having the fallback of the credit card. Uh, or the line of credit. And when you don't have that, you you really realize what's going on and, and the value of planning and, and putting money aside. Well, and so there's a great challenge for all your listeners. For the next month, live off cash or live off your debit card. Live off your debit card or just know that you can't use credit. If you have an emergency, obviously mm-hmm. you'll use your credit because you know we're not going to go crazy, but you give it a try and see if you still have money in the bank for rent at the end of the month yep. or, or, and, and if you don't just maybe have a little closer look at, at what it is you did that month. Yeah. Because something is going to change in your life in the next 50 years. Cause that's how life is. You won't be at the exact same job living in the exact same place, exact same car, wearing the exact pair of jeans. It's just not the way it works. So something is going to change. Hopefully it's something great. You get a better job and make more money. But if it's a bump along the road, it's nice to have already anticipated it, have a bit of a cushion there. That's why getting rid of debt is so important because that's the ultimate cushion. Exactly. So how can people go and read about all this stuff? What's a, what's your website? Best website is our, our company website, hoys.com. So that's H-O-Y-E-S.com, nice short name. And we've got tons of information there. We've got blog posts. We explain what consumer proposals are, bankruptcy. We've got links to videos. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, the the podcast, which uh, you've been a guest on, I've got uh, roughly 150 episodes or so up there. So way more than a me <laughs> the, uh, at the moment. Um, so whatever topics you're interested in, if you're uh, somebody who likes to listen, then by all means, click the one and uh, and listen to it. Obviously, it's available on iTunes and podcasting apps everywhere. Ever, uh, Debt free and 30 is what it's called. But all that information is available at hoys.com. And yeah, Debt Free and 30, uh, you've pretty much interviewed every possible person in 150 episodes <laughs> we've had we've had a few some great guests absolutely. and you and you and your uh, co-founder ted michaelos you chat about various issues and yeah i have ted on probably every fourth or fifth show and he's great because i turn the mic on and off he goes because uh, he's kind of like me we've he's seen it all as well obviously we we started mm. the company together so he's got definite opinions on everything as well so it's it's great to chat back and forth great so Thanks so much for doing this, Doug. I really appreciate it. Great. Thanks for having me, Bob.